Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we ask that you would take this time that we've dedicated to the study and, and admonition of your word, that, Lord, you would give clarity of thought and simplicity of speech, but, Lord, that your word would have freedom to be applied to each of our hearts and lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this time together tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, and uh, tonight we're going to continue on. Um, I might give you a fair warning or however it needs to be taken, but uh, uh, I have been promising uh, several times to... Uh, redo the Bible study that we've done in the past on wine and the Bible, and uh, I really want to expand that study a little bit, uh, as we have in the past, to deal with uh, other intoxicating substances and how they work, and also uh, just uh, the the uh, subject of alcohol uh, actually went in and married itself with politics in American history. It was called Prohibition. And I uh, would like to spend a little bit of time dealing with the fact of politics and biblical truth and, and how that uh, they really don't mix very well. And uh, one of the, some of the seeds of much of the frustration we have today, it's, it's amazing... Uh, I'll just give you just a little tidbit. Uh, people say you cannot legislate morality. Uh, that's one of their famous phrases. But could I ask you what Roe versus Wade was? That was the decision legalized, the judicial decision legalizing abortion. That was unlegislating morality in, in our and the Supreme Court decision on sodomite marriage. Again, uh, all of those who scream, you cannot legislate morality, they do. And, and as we study, we'll find a lot of connections here and things that I think uh, will be a help to us. But tonight, I'd like us to continue as we're just looking at single words. And uh, tonight, the word is knowledge. Uh, that is something uh, we all know about, but none of us really know anything about it. Pun intended, I guess, if you want to take it. Uh, just to give you an idea, the, the name of Jesus is found in 943 verses of our King James Bible. The word knowledge and its forms are found in 1,309 verses. So it is a theme that goes all the way through your Bible. If you like words and definitions, the Oxford English Dictionary gives 15 different uh, definitions, uh, shades of meaning of the word knowledge uh, alone, and, and not even its other forms. If you were to look up uh, know and knowing and all of these things, it, it would be page after page after page of information and, and usage on this word. And I just want to give us a couple of those tonight. We're not going to go through all 15, but uh, the word knowledgement, definition number one is acknowledgement, confession, uh, acknowledgement or recognition of the position or claims. So we can say that I have knowledge of what Democrats believe or of what Republicans believe. That, that would be uh, the first definition. Um, the second definition, it says the fact of recognizing as something known or known about before uh, recognition to take knowledge of to recognize. You say, well, I know who you are or you know who I am. If, uh, uh, and then uh, definition number three is legal cognizance, a judicial investigation or inquiry. Uh, that's often used in courtrooms about having the knowledge of, uh, of uh, certain facts and things. Definition five says the fact of knowing a thing, a state, 
or in a general sense, a person acquainting familiarity gained by experience. So you can know things by experiencing things. And verse, uh, verse, sorry, definition number eight is acquaintance with a fact, perception, or certain information of a fact or matter, state or being aware in or informed, consciousness of anything. The object is usually a proposition expressed or implied. The knowledge of that person is poor. The knowledge of his poverty are the examples that they would do, use. Uh, we may say uh, having a uh, working knowledge of history or American history, something not taught today. I think we teach more American history at this church than most public schools ever will, and at least in New York City. And, and, uh, uh, and these are the different ideas of what the word knowledge means. It's something we deal with every day. It's amazing to me, I have more knowledge, more information stored on my phone than my grandfather ever dealt with in his entire life. And my grandfather was not an ignorant man, he was a miner. He had to uh, know all about uh, working underground and... uh, and explosives, and yeah, he was the guy that yelled fire in the hole and lit the fuse and blew the dynamite down, I mean the coal down out of the walls of the tunnel there. And and uh, he, was, he was quite a knowledgeable man about many things. Ran a farm in Pennsylvania, but he didn't have to have that many facts. He didn't have to have all of these things that we do today. Most of the time... Uh, we we have a phrase uh, when we're talking about the smartest man in the room. He was educated above his ability. Uh, most of the time that, that is true, is it not? And uh, the smartest man in the world isn't quite as smart as he thought he was. But let's turn to Genesis chapter 2 and, and just allow the Bible to teach us a little bit about this thing called knowledge. There's no way we're going to examine 1,300 verses tonight. Uh, But we are going to get quite a few in, so limber up your fingers here. And and the first time the word knowledge is used, it's it's, uh, kind of interesting here. But let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And out of the ground, the Lord God made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So, the first place we have this word knowledge mentioned, it's the name of a tree. And, of course, man forever has tried to say Eve ate the apple. No, it wasn't an apple tree. Uh, There were apple trees in there. God made every tree that was good for food to grow in the garden there, in the Garden of Eden. And it was a real place. And Adam and Eve are real people. They were living there. And in the midst of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, here's just something interesting about knowledge that we learned. This tree had the the fruit of this tree was the knowledge of good and evil, the Bible tells us. It tells us that Adam and Eve were told not to eat of it, for in the day that they ate thereof, they should surely die. Is that correct? Thou shalt surely die. And and we know that Eve did eat of that tree. But here's something that we need to understand. Adam and Eve had a knowledge of good when they were created because they knew God. Amen? I mean, that's not an astounding fact. But they couldn't know evil until they positively defied God and took that fruit 
and ate it. You see, real knowledge always involves action. You see, that's, we live in a world where knowledge has become this erythral, uh, mystical thing that some people have it. Uh, I don't know how many of you knew somebody in school that they were just smart. I mean, straight A's, never had to study. Always, just simply, we all knew people like that, right? How many remember Brother Horton? He was the, his famous sermon. He preached it everywhere he went. God uses C-plus students. And so there's hope for the rest of us. Amen. Uh, but there's certain people and they're, they're just like, there's some aura about them. They're supposed to be uh, just gifted with this knowledge. But let me ask you a question. If, if you ever knew a straight-A student, what was the first thing they were always doing? Studying. Reading. They were always doing... Ex- they were the ones that were really listening in class and take. You know, maybe this thing called knowledge isn't such an unattainable thing after all. Amen? But if that knowledge isn't connected to behavior, then what is it? Could I challenge you? Useless information. So much of what we possess as knowledge is not knowledge at all. Not in the biblical sense. It's just useless information. How many people have destroyed their lives or at least their minds trying to gain knowledge that had no physical application to real life? How many of you have met somebody like that? They're just so full of knowledge, they can't do anything. You know, I don't want to learn from someone that is full of knowledge. I like to learn from people who know what they're doing. Amen? If I have to have an operation, I don't want a doctor that's full of knowledge. I want one that's full of experience. His knowledge is being put into practice. And his patients haven't died. That gives me hope uh, that if he operates on me, uh, I will uh, come out uh, on the right side of the operation. Uh, I mean, these are simple things here, but what we need to understand is one of the devil's greatest tricks is to have you seeking after knowledge that doesn't help you live for God. You see, knowledge is, is connected to behavior here. They could not, they knew good because God created man in his own image and God is good. They talked to God every day. So Adam and Eve had that. But they couldn't know the other side. And this was the devil's lie. He said, you'll be just like gods, knowing both good and evil. Well, the only hook is, once you know evil, you cannot go back to a state of not knowing evil. Because you have gained the knowledge of evil. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? And we won't take time to go through the whole process, but Adam and Eve did die that day. The part of them, their spirit, the part of them that had a direct connection with God died. That's why when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Amen? And we get down here to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22, and it tells us that... And the Lord God said, Behold, man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to to till the ground. 
from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims with a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. I can't wait to see one of those flaming swords that turns every way. That's just a little beyond my imagination's powers. How about yours? And yet, the Bible tells us that God guarded the way. Why? Because if Adam and Eve had reached an eternal state where they were, knowing evil, they would never be able to dwell with God. So here was man's chance for redemption. And what we have here is Adam and Eve gained a knowledge of sin by sinning. Uh, Another just different shade of the same ideas in verse 9 of chapter 4. If you're there, it's still on the same page. In my Bible, it says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? How many of you have ever told a lie based on knowledge? Well, just about every one of them are lies. Sometimes we open our mouths. Sometimes we don't. Somebody says, do you know who did that? And you did it. Well, guess what? You just told a lie based on knowledge, didn't you? And... and So, this is not something you can escape from. This is not something uh, that you can ignore. It's going to be part of your life. And let's go to Isaiah chapter 28. Here's an interesting passage uh, that I just wanted to touch on tonight. Isaiah chapter 28. And we'll start reading in verse 9. It says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Now, It may sound a little confusing because of the repetition here, but uh, Isaiah is trying to bring forth a point. Knowledge is something that has to be gained. Knowledge is not something that's mastered, uh, that is just given to you. Knowledge is something you must master. It's something you must obey. If you want to learn to play a musical instrument, you must practice, right? Wrong. If you're going to gain the knowledge of a musical instrument, you must practice properly. My saxophone teacher said, you practiced very much this week. But everything you practiced was wrong. He said, so all you've done is taught yourself how to do it wrong. He said, so now you've got to teach yourself unteach yourself the wrong way, and then reteach the right way. And he proceeded to play it over several times so that I would get it, and I probably played that line a thousand times trying to learn how to play right, just over and over and over again. And I thought I was just driving my parents crazy until our next-door neighbor called up and said, Can he change the tune? And it was... And we lived in separate houses. I didn't grow up in the city, and so. But it was it was something that we you have to learn. The Bible says, the time that you start gaining knowledge is as soon as you're born. You know, we have the little children in the what we call the through the Bible time. It's important to have all the little kids in that time when we go through the Bible stories. And it's not only my children, but other parents have told the stories as your children grow up that all of a sudden they start saying things and say, hey, they weren't even talking when we did that story. 
But they were sitting there listening. Amen? And uh, you, what, what happens is, if you really want to learn something, you've got to learn it a little bit at a time, don't you? Knowledge builds on knowledge. That's why in mathematics you learn addition, then subtraction, then multiplication, then division, then polynomial equations, right? Uh, But you can't do those until you have the others under hand. Every once in a while one of my kids will come up and in fact, somebody did this morning. Came up and asked me a question about math, and I said, Whoa, wait a minute. This displays a fundamental lack of knowledge of the subject. Go back, look it up in your book, and read over it. Because if you don't get this, next year, when it gets harder, you're never going to get it. Why is it? When we come to Christianity, when we come to the Bible, we think we can just grab Dr. So-and-so's book and know everything the Bible has to teach. See, it doesn't work that way. There are no shortcuts in true Bible knowledge. Dun, dun, dun. That's why your Bible reading schedule is important. This is minimum daily requirement for an adult. You say, but pastor, that, that would take me uh, 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 a whole half hour to read all of that. Well, maybe half hour in the morning, half hour at night. Would that be a bad way to start and end your day? No, it would be a pretty good way now, wouldn't it? How many read the newspaper in five minutes? Uh, if you got the New York slime, I mean Times or something like that, uh, uh, it takes a lot of time to read those articles. There's a lot of words in those articles. And by the way, your King James Bible is a lesser English level than the New York Times. And you don't have to decide which part of the Bible is lies and which part of the Bible is true. Uh, but if you're going to read the New York Times, uh, I'll tell you the easy way is just throw the whole thing in the trash. And, uh, no, uh, they're not wrong about everything, just most everything. Amen? If you're going to get knowledge, here's what it said, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept. Precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, because the knowledge that you gain, if it's a biblical knowledge, it's going to be tied to behavior and living. The golden rule of biblical interpretation is simply this. If it does not affect the way I live today, I don't need to know it. The parts of the Bible I need to know are the parts that are going to help me live for Christ. Am I in the right church? Hello? Okay, I got three. Let's try that again. What you need from this Bible is the knowledge of how to live for Christ. Can we say amen? And if it's not that kind of knowledge, you don't need it. That's why I'm not worried about who the Antichrist is. The Bible doesn't tell me. I'm not going to argue whether Adam and Eve had belly buttons or not. Uh, Just not going to do it. It's not necessary information. Somebody said, well, where did King get his wife? Who cares? He had one. uh, And he had children. And it it wasn't Cain and Shane, my friend. It was Cain and a woman. Amen? Amen. Uh, And we got people that are so confused, they can't figure that out. And people want to ask all these questions about the Bible, about things that make absolutely no difference in how you live. Because, let's read on a little bit here. Verse 13, if you're still in Isaiah 28, it says, But the word of the Lord was unto them... 
precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. You see what Isaiah is saying to Israel? If you're going to gain knowledge, to whom shall we teach knowledge? You've got to start at the beginning of your life. You're learning things. You learn more things that are going to help you in life between your birthday and seven years old than you'll learn the rest of your life. You know, by the time you're seven years old, should you know how to take a bath? You, you ought to, amen? If you're seven years old, should, should you pretty much know how to read? At least basic little children books? Now think about going from ga-ga-goo-goo to Jack and Jill went up the hill. Now you can read that. And you're seven years old, right? Yeah. You know how to walk. You know how to dress yourself. You certainly know how to eat by the time you are seven. Feed yourself and all of the... You learn an awful lot in the first few years of your life. The rest of it is refinement. I would hope most of us have better table manners than we did when we were seven. Amen? And uh, there's room for improvement. Uh, I, I, we, we refine those things, but you know how to talk. You know how to walk. You know how to go places. You know how to find your way home. You know an awful lot by the time you're seven years old. But listen, knowledge is neither good nor evil. Knowledge is just understanding things. It's the application of that knowledge. That is the important part. That's what makes knowledge real. Is when I know how to apply it. And you can learn both good and bad. How many of you have ever had to break a bad habit? Well, if you're alive, uh, you've learned something wrong that you wanted to alter. And here's what the children of Israel are doing, and here's what many people do every day of their life. Oh, they read the Bible. They go to church. They know all kinds of things about the Bible. And yet, when you ask them, do you have any knowledge of your eternity? What do they say? Well, I hope so. Well... I'm not as as bad as my next-door neighbor. Well, who's your next-door neighbor? Uh, Some guy named Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, Well, okay, well, you might not be as bad as a serial killer, mass murderer. Good, we're glad about that. But that's not going to get you into heaven. Have you ever tried to confuse somebody with the facts? How many of you know what I mean by that statement? Somebody knows something. And it ain't right. And you could not convince them with a ball-peen hammer to the forehead that what they know just might not be right. It's called being a teenager. And the solution is becoming a politician so you can get paid for it. Amen? But those are some really bad applications of knowledge. And so we move on. Let's go to... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if we would. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Wait a minute. I think... Uh, yeah, let's, let's go to chapter 8 and then we'll pick up another one here. Sorry, my pages are sticking here. And just a moment. Yes. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 8. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up. 
but charity edifieth. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. The thing we need to understand about knowledge is knowledge is attached to behavior. Knowledge is attached to life choices. If you're not using that knowledge to make a life choice, if you're not using that knowledge to alter or direct your behavior, then it is just simply worthless information. Because when we stand before God, He's not going to give us a memory verse test. He's not going to ask you how many books of the Bible you know or how many times you were in church. We are going to be judged for what? The results of our life decisions. Correct? Now, how do we learn those things? A little here, a little there. Line must be built upon line, precept upon precept. You cannot take shortcuts in gaining knowledge. If you do, it's going to show up somewhere. If you have problems with basic multiplication and division, and all of a sudden you're put in an algebra class, you're lost. And there's no helping you. You've got to go back and you've got to learn the basics. And you've got to start over again. There, there are people who learn to play musical instruments. Uh, sometimes we talk about playing the piano by ear. Uh, no, you still use your fingers. Uh, but what you're doing is you have trained yourself to listen and your fingers automatically do what they're supposed to do. It's, it's, it's a learned, it is a way to learn the piano. But somebody puts music down in front of you and says, can you play this? And you're going, uh, uh, uh. And, and there are some very accomplished pianists, pianists that play only by ear. And you would never know it until you set some music down in front of you. How many of you have heard the Amen Quartet? Enjoy that music. Their pianist plays mostly by ear, almost all. He could play some very basic things by notes, but his best playing is just, he hears it and it comes out the fingers. There's no way you're going to take a grown man and make him go back to school and start over again. He missed that knowledge and he's never going to get it. That doesn't mean he's not a bad piano player, but what the point I'm trying to make here is that as we are looking for knowledge in God's Word, we cannot afford shortcuts. We cannot afford to miss things. We must put it together. But knowledge, in order for it to work, has to be tempered. It has to, be, it has to have additives to it. Pure knowledge, all by itself, is a very dangerous thing. So, what do we use to temper knowledge? Well, we read in 1 Corinthians 8, charity. Charity. Now, again, don't get modern on me and just put love in there because that's the word charity has different nuances of meaning than the word love. Again, love, the same as true knowledge, charity is love in action. It's connected and knowledge is things that we know put into action. And if we really know something, and we live in a world where it is perfectly acceptable to really know the right thing to do and then choose not to do it. Now, should that be right? Absolutely not. That should not be acceptable, but... 
In our modern day, as we're trying to seek to justify every deviant behavior known to mankind, we cannot be logical about this thing. We cannot be simple. We have to get really complex. And so, uh, But the truth of the matter is, what does charity do with my behavior? It makes me think of number one, God first, because where does charity come from? God is love. And when I get God's love in me and it reaches out and touches someone, that's charity. And charity without knowledge is nothing but baby slobber. It's just there. But when we know what we're supposed to do to serve God and His love motivates us, then it works, doesn't it? Charity tempers knowledge. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 1. And we've been through this passage recently, so we won't take a lot of time tonight, but we do want to touch on this. Second Peter chapter 1. And uh, verse 5 says, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's important. Amen? We want to abound in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we need to understand that these things are in a specific order for a reason. First of all, you must have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You you can't be saved without faith. You must have it. Nothing else matters without faith. But what are you supposed to add to faith? Virtue. You see, the other temperer, the other thing that we need to temper or to keep knowledge in the right vein is virtue. Virtue is purity. It is a singleness of cause. It it is a purity that changes the surrounding area. Christians ought to have an influence wherever we go. Amen? That's a Bible truth. And that virtue is our surrender to the Holy Spirit of God to live simple and pure and obedient lives to God. As we surrender and live that simple life, God will give us knowledge. That knowledge then is the basis for temperance. Now, what's temperance? Is moderate behavior. Amen? It is behavior within the limits. Temperance is self-control. Now, if we could take self-control and put it in a serum and inject it subcutaneously, I'd be the first guy in line to get some more. How about the rest of you? I mean, it's what we need. That's, That's temperance. What's the basis? What's the foundation for temperance? Knowledge. How do we get that knowledge? Line upon line. That's why you need to read your Bible. You can't get past that. People have often said, wow, you know so much about the Bible. I said, well, you read it through 50 or 75 times and you'll have a good start. Amen? Uh, You've got to spend some time not only reading, but studying, comparing Scripture with Scripture. Uh, That is what we're talking about here. There there is... uh, 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 let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because knowledge does have some limits. And and those limits are overcome by charity and virtue and temperance 
and these other things. We skip down to verse 8. It says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. We were just talking about this the other day. When we get to heaven, we're not going to need knowledge. We're not going to have to learn anything more. Because we will know as we are known. I'm looking forward to that day. No more having to figure anything out. No more having to learn a new skill set that you're never going to use ever again. Uh, That seems to be our plight in the union building process, is learning all all about certain things and then we're done and you don't need that anymore. It's the next problem and now you've got to learn a whole new set. But knowledge is a wonderful thing. But there are limits knowledge but there's no limits to love amen and there's no limits on God and the more we know about God I hope you still had a finger there in Second Peter because we just need to go back and, and look at two verses here Second Peter chapter 1 We'll go back to the beginning of this series here of things that we're supposed to add to our faith. Now look at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through what? The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through what? The knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You see, knowledge has to be tempered. But we must gain a knowledge of our Savior. We must get to know God better. The problem that we have, if there is a fundamental failing, is that we know all about God But we do not know God. An illustration that I've used many times is the husband and wife on their 30th wedding anniversary. And the husband carefully cuts the the crust off the bread and toasts it gently and butters it and passes it to his wife who breaks out in tears. She said, 30 years of marriage cooking for you and serving you and you still give me the heel of the bread. And his mouth dropped open and said, that's not the heel, the crust is the crown. Uh, My father always got the crust, that was the favorite piece of bread. We, We fought over that. She said, no, in my house we threw it away. Well, you would think after 30 years of being together, somebody would have figured that out. You see, it's very capable of knowing a lot about somebody and never knowing that person. It's the difference between false religion and true religion, isn't it? It's the difference between useless information and true knowledge. Knowledge must be nurtured. You can only grow in Christ as you get to know Him, not just about Him. That's where charity comes in, amen? That's where virtue comes from. All of those things that we need. We're not going to take time tonight just simply because of the time, but if you'll read Revelations 2 and 3, Jesus' letter to the churches, the word know, known, knowledge, is used 14 times to those seven churches. He tells each church, I know thy works. And he reprimands certain churches for not knowing things that they should have known. He, he lays into the Laodicean church in the most harsh terms and said, Thou knowest not that thou art wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. He said, I counsel you to get 
to buy cloth that your nakedness can be covered and that you can get eye salve that you can see. There is no man that is more foolish than he who thinks he knows the answers. Isn't that true? You see, true knowledge is attached to decisions that determine where I walk and what I do. That's knowledge. That's why it was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because there was a decision that had to be made. Not to eat the fruit. Of course, we know that Eve improved upon God's word and said, Neither shall you touch it. Then she was no longer standing on God's word. She was standing on Eve's word. And that didn't last very long with the devil around now, did it? You see, Eve knew what the Bible said. And she tried to add to that knowledge. But it only caused her to fail. Because it wasn't true knowledge. It wasn't from God. It wasn't in this book. And so, Jesus wants us to know everything that pertains, all things that pertain unto life and godliness are through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. It's talking about Jesus. We don't need to know about Him, my friend. We need to know Him. And as we know Him, Paul prayed for the Colossian church. He said that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. What he told the Romans in Romans chapter 12. Most of you can quote that verse. I those verses, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, what's that next thing? That ye may prove. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? That's knowledge. Amen? How many of you remember when we were seeking knowledge whether to buy this building or not? We've got a few of us still left. Brother Ken remembers that, I'm sure. That was terrifying days. Because I remember as the pastor and the church was all excited. Oh, pastor, we believe God can do it. And I'm sitting here going, I wonder if I should tell you what I know. But you see, that wasn't biblical knowledge. Because God did do it, didn't he? You see, we can prove that was God's will now. It wasn't near as much fun proving it when we were $150,000 short. That wasn't fun. But God still did the miracle now, didn't he? I'll tell you, it wasn't fun 50 foot in the air over at Union sometimes. I remember climbing the ladder for the first time going, Now, Lord, either you're going to have to get rid of this fear of heights or there's no way. I'm going to be able to do the work that needs to be done. And I started climbing up there, and all of a sudden I got about 20 feet off the ground, looked down, and going, and I just stood there for a few minutes. And I said, you know, this is really dumb. I'm only going to be able to hang on so long. Uh, And and my fall arrest harness doesn't work until you get 23 feet off the ground. Uh, Otherwise, you just hit the ground a little softer uh, and, and... I prayed again, and the Lord just it hasn't really bothered me since. Until I have to get back up there, amen? But the simple truth is, knowledge is connected to what we do. That's how you get saved, amen? That's how you live for God. 
If you don't have charity, your knowledge is going to lead you in directions that God never intended you to go in. If you're not tempering and basing that knowledge on virtue and then using that knowledge to build temperance, you're going to head in directions that God never intended you to head. And when we stand before Him, He certainly knows about us. He certainly wants us to know His will. He wants us to be able to prove His will. He wants us to be certain in an uncertain world where nobody... I mean, you ask your uh, mathematicians today what 2 plus 2 is, and sometimes they have to stop and think about it. Unless you're an accountant, then you need to know what the answer is, and you'll take care of the problem on the other side, right? Uh, No, these are the wrong ways of doing it. It's very simple. I need to know what it is to be obedient to Christ. You think that's what Jesus meant? And we'll finish with this. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. How many of you have spent too much time with all these things? Instead of back at the beginning of the verse, where we're supposed to be spending our time. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for the words that are in your book. And Lord, I pray that we would be challenged to seek true biblical knowledge. And Lord, that you would help us to discard the useless information that passes itself off as biblical knowledge. And Lord, that you would give us the wisdom and the ability to tell the difference. Lord, that we would seek charity and virtue. Lord, that we would, by your grace and through your Spirit, lay a foundation for temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness. Lord, we want these things in our lives so that we can know you. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, maybe you'd like to add a few of your own. The altar's open. We'll have the piano play.